the journey really started stepping over the yellow line in New Delhi Airport. It was September 1995. Me and a mate, Brian, that I'd met in the pub in Halifax in West Yorkshire. Probably a Friday night. Everyone was going mental. And I'm shouting over the music, you know, telling him where I'm going. And he seems keen. This wasn't the first conversation I'd had, you know, trying to get people to come with me because you know, I didn't want to ride on my own. A lot of guys seemed keen, you know, they were generally, normally when they'd had a few beers, of course, they were forgetting about the mortgages and all the other stuff, saying stuff like, yeah, fuck Halifax, let's go, mate, let's go. Fucking where's my bike? I've never, I haven't rid one since I was a kid, but fuck it, let's go, man. We were, we were in the late 20s. I was 27. From Bry was 28. We weren't we weren't hardcore cyclists. I did a bit, you know, at weekends and stuff. I'd I'd ride, you know, maybe five mile or something like that on a Sunday to get rid of my hangover. And just on basic bikes, they weren't out flash. And Bry, he didn't even have a bike. He ended up borrowing his sister-in-law's a few weeks before we left. We were just two blokes trying to find some adventure while we were still young enough. Just trying to break the bubble, trying to get out. It was midday and 40 degrees when we finally set out. And we were trying to squeeze our way out of New Delhi. And there were thousands of people, motorbikes, holy cows, bullocks, trucks, buses, rickshaws. There's no real sort of delineation between the footpath and the road. There's just this mass. It's like leaving a big rock concert or something. And the trucks and, and bus tyres would be right next to you. And they just wouldn't stop turning. They wouldn't give way for you. And they had these deafening horns. Every time we stopped, we'd get surrounded by a crowd, you know, of over 100 people. And we'd just take off again because we, we just couldn't handle it. Finally, it was hours and hours later, the buildings got smaller. And we started to see the green of the paddy fields, giant kingfishers looking down at us from the telephone wires. And green monkeys were running along the wall tops. We'd stopped to watch this block. There was these two bloated water buffalo. They'd drowned in the monsoons and the water had subsided. And this bloke's hacking into them with these two big meat cleavers. And you could hear like this heavy hum of flies. And there's these massive vultures, sort of you know, over a metre tall hopping around and crows and these these feral dogs all bouncing around this these carcasses trying to get uh, some scraps. This bloke looked up and started heading towards us waving these two big meat cleavers and all this putrid flesh running down to his elbows and we just took off. We kept riding east. We passed over the Ganges toward Nepal and the Himalayas. When we got to the immigration there on the Indian side, it was, it was like a little tiny shack and this Indian bloke sat there with his son on his knee. There was like a flooded, it's like a weir. And we had to carry our bikes barefoot over this weir. And we got into this tiny village on the Nepalese side. It was just mud huts and this dirt road and there's pigs and chickens and goats running around. We didn't realise that we had to check in on the, on the Nepalese side and we heard this shouting behind us. This bloke, he'd swung out of his hammock and he's running up the road after us. 
Excuse me, sir, please stop. You need visa. He said he needed photos to do the visa forms, but we didn't have any. But he saw in my wallet, I had like just an American dollar. He said, oh, give me that dollar and I'll take the photos later. <laughs> Seemed logical to us. It was six months and 8,000 kilometers later. We were in Indonesia getting chased by these bandits. There was three of them on one moped and they had knives. I got slashed actually across my ass. Soon after that, we'd managed to get Aussie visas and we landed in Darwin in the Northern Territories. It was just after the wet season. And in the first week, I'd been attacked by these eight dudes who bailed out of a panel van and had to run for like four, four kilometers or something and then hide on this hotel roof to escape from them. In fact, one guy actually caught me and I had to like punch him to get away. Second week there, I got mowed down by a, a guy running a red light in this like matte black falcon muscle car. He's a nice guy actually though, he bought me, uh, he repaired my bike for me after he'd nearly killed me. We managed to score a ride crewing a yacht that was heading south into the Kimberleys. We didn't even know where the Kimberleys were. You know, it's about 500,000 square kilometres of wilderness. It's one of the most remote places on earth and we were going to sail around it for two months going in to the beaches and sailing up some of the massive rivers. Some of the rivers were like, you know, 60 kilometres long. And there was massive tides, massive crocs, box jellyfish and sharks and lots of other bites. One night there I woke up and I was flying through the air and I hit the bunk wall and landed on Bry as this wave broke through the porthole. And we were getting swept toward the rocks and we were caught in this cyclone swell. A few months later, I ended up on a remote sheep farm. Me and Brian had to part ways to find work. And I was up to my elbows in sheep shit, blood and maggots. And the shearers were cussing me. Uh, they nicknamed me Pommy Dung Beetle C-U-N-T. Yeah, it was kind of catchy. I found Bright again. and I was with him for about 18 months and then he had to go home. He, he would have kept going, but he had commitments back home and he'd been gone, you know, way too long. I've got a lot of stories. Some are dangerous. Here's a bit of an example. Um, having an M16 pointed at me. Or waking up in a, in a field with bullets flying everywhere. Um, being assaulted with plastic chairs of all things by these waiters. And the chef come out with a meat cleaver. I was paid off by the Thai cops not to report an assault. And I was saved by the Thai cops from what he said I was going to get kidnapped because I was walking along this border. He had a gun and a knife in his car. There was a bloke, he put a gun under my pillow. There was a bloke cut a hole in our tent with a razor. There was a bloke looking me in the eyes with a carving knife in his hand asking me what he should stab next. It's not all the same bloke, by the way. <laughs> 
Yeah, it was Bry. He's mad. One day we had to help a drunk guy. He'd come to ask us to... Um, I was hitchhiking and I was just walking back through Asia. This was a few years later. I was walking and he come up next to me. He had no brakes on this moped and he was using his flip-flops, like his thongs as brakes, and he skidded up next to me. He's sort of gesturing, get on the back, I'll give you a ride. And he's patting the back of his bike and... Oh, I'm looking at him and he's totally pissed and I'm thinking, no. So I said, no, no, no. Cup cool, my cup, thanks. And he insisted and he kept following me. And his handlebars were the type that were just like two bars. So the bar actually fastens on top of your forks. So he had a bar on each side with like this clamp. And one of the clamps wasn't tight enough and it came off it. And because he was only holding the bike on one side, he fell over. And the bike ended up landing on top of him and he was getting burnt on the engine and the exhaust. Pull him up, I had to get him up. And um, he <laughs> he got up and dusted himself down and I helped him actually. I, I got a big lump of wood and knocked his handlebar back on for him because I didn't have any tools. Probably better off just not doing it because he'd be back on the road again. So he got on his back on his bike and he just turned around at me and go, get on, get on. <laughs> That's just one of the daft things that happened over there. Um, got lost in the Sumatran jungle. Um, I once swam to Myanmar, only for a few seconds. That was pretty daft, could have got shot. We crossed back into India by accident once and had to go and see the High Commissioner was adopted by rice farmers. Ate some carrots, laced with strychnine. Wasn't a good move. Me and Bri, we had a BMI, you know, body mass index, whatever the hell they call it, of about minus 10 after we both got dysentery. Drifted 120 kilometers down the Mekong River in a homemade raft after drinking scorpion hooch and duck blood pie. And sailed to Tonga with Captain Smallman. He used to like to wear speedos, his white sort of sailing gum boots, and he had this like big hairy chest, suntan, and um, probably had like some chips, sunglasses on, and he had uh, this massive great white tooth encased in gold as a necklace, and it was a great white that he'd killed, and he had this big ugly picture of it all chained up. Like a four and a half meter grey white, all grotesque up on the harbour. We found black pearls, and I once had to go to a tongue and dance wearing old ladies' clothes because all mine were back at this island. And I hadn't had any fresh water because I was stuck on this remote island where all I could drink was coconut um, juice. In fact, I had to climb, climb coconuts trees every day, and they were getting higher and higher to get. So I'm at this Tongan dance in these old ladies' clothes. I think they were like lime green pants. And this blouse, I think it was a blouse. I was trying to put it, pass it off as a shirt. And I had this like crusty sea dog hair because I hadn't had any fresh water to wash my hair. And that <laughs> that's just like a little intro to let you know what kind of stories they're going to be. And I hope you enjoy it.